0: Hello everybody and welcome. You're listening to SFF Addicts, a bi-weekly panel podcast featuring writers from FanFiatic.com, authors, publishing professionals, bloggers, and more, where we come together to chat about science fiction and fantasy, as well as the occasional jaunt into the wider SFF industry. I'm your host, Adrian M. Gibson, and today's episode is my interview with author and podcaster Jed Hearn. Jed is the author of Fires of the Dead, Across the Broken Stars, and The Thunder Heist. His latest work is Siege of Trebulane, an epic fantasy interactive fiction game with 280,000 words of playable content, which is out today, April 14th. Jed also co-hosts the Wizards, Warriors, and Words podcast with authors Rob J. Hayes, Dirk Ashton, and Michael R. Fletcher. And an important note to go along with this interview, fan Addicts Tori Gross, Connor M. Kaplan, and I did a live playthrough of the beginning section of Siege of Lane with Jed. It acts as a sort of companion to this interview and was a blast to play together, so hopefully you enjoy listening to it or watching it as well. I highly recommend you check it out after listening to this, and it's available in audio on the SFF Addicts feed and video on the FanFi addict YouTube channel, so I'll include a link to the latter in the episode description. Alright, now on to my interview with author Jed Hearn. Here we go. All right, welcome everybody to another author chat on SFF Addicts. And today I'm very, very pleased to be talking to Jed Hearn. He's the fantasy author of Fires of the Dead, Across the Broken Stars, and The Thunder Heist. And his latest work is Siege of Trebulane, an epic fantasy interactive fiction game with 280,000 words of playable content, which is out today, April 14th. And he's also a fellow podcaster, hosting the Having hosted the Novel Analyst podcast, Half-Baked Stories, The Jed Hearn Experience, and most recently, Wizards, Warriors, and Words, with authors Dirk Ashton, Rob J. Hayes, and Michael R. Fletcher. So welcome to the show, Jed. How are you doing today?
1: Thanks for having me, Adrian. I'm doing awesome. Um, Yeah, very excited to have Cedar Treblin out. Um, Yeah, I can't wait to talk about it some more. Also, I'm super impressed with the depth of your research. I have not thought about Half-Baked Stories or Jed Hearn Audio Experience (laughs) podcast in a very, very long time. Um, I think they're still up there somewhere, but I, yeah, that, that was, that was a long time ago. So well done on finding uh, those. I'm dude, impressed. we'll
0: get, we'll get into that. We'll get into <laughs> that. But for anyone who's watching or listening, uh, Jed and I have just done a live playthrough of the beginning of Siege of Lane with uh, my fellow FanFiatic bloggers, Tori Gross and Connor M. Kaplan. And that'll be releasing as a companion video, uh, podcast episode to this interview. So you can check that out on the feed or on the FanFiatic YouTube channel. Uh, I recommend listening to it after this interview, uh, as we get into quite a lot of shenanigans during that episode, but it was a ton of fun. Uh, and first of all, I want to congratulate you on the release of Siege of Treble So how does it feel to finally release this massive undertaking?
1: Thanks. Yeah. It's, um, I've, it's weird. It's always that weird thing when you're releasing a book because quite often by the time I'm releasing, whether it's a novel or in this case, a game, I'm already quite a way into the next project so your mind is kind of already moving on to to the next thing which i think is healthy Mm -hmm. because um the experiences i've had in the past before where you're just waiting around for a story to release and um you're not working on anything else actively it's not an awesome place to be because quite often you're just so wrapped up in thinking about like oh what are people gonna say like i hope people enjoy this will like sell any copies or whatever? so yeah, I think I've just learned over the years that it's a much nicer place to be, to be already starting to write the first draft of the next novel uh, when the previous one is releasing. The flip side of that, of course, is that then when you are like promoting the story that you've written in the past, it kind of feels like it was a really long time ago. So I'm really glad that we did that playthrough of it together recently because yeah, it kind of like reminds you of uh, all the all the awesome things that you kind of like packed into that story and how much effort you put into it and everything. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I'm just really excited for this. I feel like this is the, this is a strange thing to say, but this is like the most excited and the least anxious I've been about a book release in a long time because with previous books, it was all on me, right? Like the three books that you can see behind me self-published. So whether it came out with a bang or came out with a whimper, it was, uh, you know, I had no one else to blame and it was just, just my own right. efforts. Um, whereas with Siege of Treblan, uh, I wrote it for an amazing company called Choice of Games. And they have published like a hundred of these things before. Some of their games have like won Nebula Awards, which is one of the big um, awards for like game writing out there. And they seem to know what they're doing. So it's yeah. really <laughs> nice to know that they have some sort of strategy and audience and plan behind it, um, which has kind of freed me up to just be excited to have it out and to be like, oh, I can't wait to have my friends go through this and to see what choices they made throughout the game and um, yeah, where they kind of end up and what they think of the story and everything. So yeah, to kind of to kind of uh, summarize, I would say yeah, very excited. Um, not feeling very anxious about this. Having said that, we are recording this slightly ahead of time. I hope that doesn't ruin the movie magic for me to to say that. So that's no,
0: fine. Perhaps it's okay.
1: by the time that um, this this <laughs> interview comes out, <laughs> my uh, yeah, uh, my thoughts will have will have changed. But at, at this stage, I'm just so excited for it to come out and. I've been working on it for two years. It's the longest project, the most intense project I've ever worked on. Um, But it's been really rewarding because of that. And yeah, I just I just can't wait for it to be out in the world and to yeah be able to point people towards a game that I've created. So yeah, very excited.
0: Man, that's awesome. And we'll dig we'll dig into the game uh, a little deeper in a bit. But first of all, I wanted to ask you about your personal history with sci fi and fantasy and reading and writing. Sort of, how is your uh? SFF journey where did it start and how did it progress
1: sure um that's an interesting question I think the book series that made me want to or the book series that made me realize what like what fantasy could be and that got me interested in it at a very young age was definitely the Harry Potter series I started reading that when I was seven um and the last book came out when I was nine so that was like very foundational in terms of like I'd always loved reading but that that series just kind of reached a whole nother level for me. And um, yeah, it just was, was so cool. And I probably reread that like, I don't know, like five or six or seven times, like over, oh, over the subsequent years <laughs> after it was released, just because I thought it was such a, a perfect story. And I still think it is like, it is my favorite series um, to this day. So that, that was probably like a big inspiration for starting my first novel when I uh, was, in school, one day we would just come back from, from school holidays. I was, I was fifteen at the time, and my friend had come into class with this short story that he'd written over the break. And it was the first time that I'd seen someone write um, write a story that no one had asked for. Because in school, you know, you have teachers asking for short stories for English assignments or whatever. This guy just came in and had written a story by himself, and I read it, and I was like, "Huh, that's that's pretty cool." It seemed like he had a good time doing this. I might try doing that myself, and. That led to me that very afternoon going home from school and starting to write a story called The Aeon Academy. And 360 days later, I finished the first draft of it. And it was (laughs) an absolutely garbage first draft. Like the villain didn't come into the piece until like, the third last chapter it was all over the place, like there were just multiple scenes of like I don't know characters eating and nothing happening, and like all these all these like rookie mistakes or whatever that's but what
0: everyone wants to see, man they want to see that's what everyone wants eating. to see everyone wants to see the <laughs> extended
1: else. eating scenes um yeah and but the thing was I loved it like I was absolutely enthralled with that process and being able to like come home from school every day and to just enter this imaginary world that I was able to create was like such this, such a fulfilling and enjoyable experience. And it really kind of like stretched me and challenged me because yeah, I'd never, like, I guess I had worked on, you know, side projects outside of, of school before, but there was nothing like this that I'd experienced where it was just such a fun experience. Um, You really didn't feel like you were just hitting keys on a keyboard and looking at a screen. Like you felt that you were walking alongside the characters. You felt that you were being the characters in this situation. And, um, yeah, ever since that, I grew deeply, deeply in love with writing and that was nine years ago. I uh, started that book when I was 15, I'm 24 now and yeah, I haven't looked back. I've just loved writing so much and yeah, I, it's just the most fulfilling and enjoyable experience. So yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of my origin, I suppose.
0: Dude, that's fantastic though. I love that. Cause it's like, you, you witness the magic in somebody else first and then you, you, you wanted to tap into that. Yes. It's just like, oh, this guy created something. He wrote it on his own and nobody asked him to do it. But that's the magic of, of being a writer and doing this whole fiction thing, whether it's fantasy or sci-fi, or what have you. It's like, I want to write this thing for me. And the hope down the line eventually is that somebody else will read it and like it. But at the beginning, it's like, this is coming for me And I have to love it and I have to just be invested in this and passionate about it in order to actually carry this out until the end of like a first draft, regardless of how shit it is. If it's a pile of garbage, then it's like, whatever. That's what editing or revision is for, right?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it is like, yeah, experiencing that magic in someone else and then being like, I wonder if I can do that. I wonder if I can pull the same trick off.
0: Yeah. And then the hope is that trick Recurs with each consecutive work that you do. It's like I Let's hope you so. can still so. <laughs> exactly. jury's still out. Yeah. Um, so before we get into Siege of Trebleine, you've got three other series on the go with the uh, the first books in each already released. You've got the fires of the dead uh novella, and that is the that is the name of the series as well, correct? Um and then you have Across the Broken Stars, which is also uh, the name of the series, and lastly the Thunder Heist and the Twisted Seas series. So, can you tell viewers and listeners a little bit more about each of those and what you have planned for them in the future?
1: Sure. So, yeah, just a just a little correction. Um, with Fires of the Dead, that's just a standalone. Across the Broken Stars ah, okay. is also a standalone as well. Okay. Um, and then Thunder Heist is yeah is the first is the first in the series, but also can be read totally standalone too. Um. Mm. Yeah, so I'll I'll go through them one by one. Fires of the Dead was the very first novella that I published. Um, It's about a group of renegade sorcerers going into this uh, haunted um, bushfire ravaged forest. And these sorcerers have the ability to kind of bond themselves to flames and then draw from those flames to project their own fires. And they're going into this forest to try to find the skull of a dead sorcerer. And the skull is said to have all of these uh, interesting powers. And as such, there's a lot of other groups who want to get it as well. So it's kind of uh, almost a fantasy horror in a sense, um, where you're following all these different characters into this very desolate woods. Um, and yeah, there's this interesting magic system kind of going on in the background there. Uh, and that is because it's a novella, like I think a fairly good starting point for a lot of my stuff because you can uh, burn through it in pun intended in a couple of hours, uh, and it's designed to be a very fast-paced experience. And I've had readers say oh, I finished this in one sitting and like that was so intense and I absolutely love this. So it's a good point to to kind of start the journey. Uh, Across the Broken Stars, I actually started writing it before Fires of the Dead, but I published Fires of the Dead first. Um, And I think I did that because Across the Broken Stars was like a very personal story to me for a very long period of time. Um, I mentioned that with my first book, The Aeon Academy, that I started writing when I was 15, I finished the first draft in like 360 days. and that book is still not out, and it probably won't be out for a very long time because it wasn't that good. Even though I rewrote it over and over again, like from scratch, two or three times, and eventually, after like five years of doing that, I realized if I wanted to grow as an author, I had to try something else. And that's where Across yeah. the Broken Stars came from. Is I was like, okay, I'm going to move on from the Aon Academy. I'm going to try something else. Um, and I wrote Across the Broken Stars, and like I knew when I was writing that, oh yeah, this is good enough. To give to someone else to read, um, which is maybe a very arrogant assumption, but <laughs> it just felt like- You kind of have to have a little bit different. of that
0: arrogance when you're a writer to be like, this is worth someone else's time. Yeah.
1: I mean, like when you degree. think about it, like authors are, I think it was um, my friend Gabriel Bergmoser who wrote The Hunted and The Inheritance, which are these books here. And he has this great quote about how um, authors are like simultaneously the most arrogant people you'll ever meet because they like think that their daydreams and fantasies are- Interesting enough that other people should spend ten hours and like twenty dollars to experience them, (laughs) (laughs) and at the same time, authors also the most like insecure and have like the like least well defended ego of anyone you'll meet because they'll be like, oh, what did you think of my story? And they'll read a bad review online and it'll ruin their whole day or whatever. So you're kind of holding like these two extremes of like
0: we are utter people. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's quite an intense experience to write a book. So you've got to have uh, some, some differences in your wiring, I think. Um, Yeah. So that's uh, to bring, brings me to Across the Broken Stars. Essentially that is uh, set in this kind of science fantasy world where people live on these discs that float in space. uh, And our main character is this cowardly war deserter who 20 years ago kind of abandoned his duties and fled from this war that saw his nation conquered. Uh, And now this young refugee has turned up on his doorstep and is asking for his help to take him to a mythical safe haven that may or may not exist. Uh, And he grudgingly sets out on a quest with her to try to discover this place while they're pursued by uh, this ruthless Inquisitor who seems to know their every movement in advance um, and is kind of very powerful within this nation that has conquered them. So, yeah, that is uh, my second novel. And um, then Thunder Heist is... As the title suggests, it's a high story. Uh, it's kind of it was described by one reviewer really well as like Ocean's Eleven in like Waterworld, essentially. So basically it is uh, about this pirate who has come to this, uh, this city that is a floating city comprised of thousands of boats that are on this monster-infested sea. And the city is powered by this device that draws energy from lightning. And our main character... Uh, kef has a grudge against this city so she wants to steal the device that channels lightning into energy so that the city will be crippled and it's essentially about her trying to recruit this uh, thieving crew to pull off the heist Um, and there's uh, some mutants some strange magic uh, and just like lots of uh, what i think are interesting action scenes uh, within that so the thunder heist is the first book in the twisted seas series um the subsequent books like i have very definite plans for them and even have like about 25% of the first draft of the second book written but I'm probably mm-hmm. not going to continue with that series just yet that's something I sort of want to do a bit more in the future once um, I establish some other things first so yeah that was kind of a rambling introduction but those are the three no, books I have out there at the moment
0: No it's perfect and you know speaking of the books that you're putting out there this one with Siege of Trouble Lane is a bit more unique if you could give a Pitch on this in the sense that it is not a normal book, but an interactive epic fantasy uh, game. So, if you could uh, share with viewers and listeners a little bit more about that and how this idea came to be.
1: Sure. So, yeah, as you mentioned, um, Sage of Treblin is a, um, I'm calling it like an epic interactive fantasy novel. So, it's kind of like one of those old text adventures where you would uh, read a scene and then at the end of that scene, you decide what happens next in the story um, with, and your decisions have quite far-reaching consequences because there's some coding stuff going on in the background. But essentially, the plot of the story is that you're the ruler of this magical medieval city that's under attack and you have to defend your people and decide um, what kind of strategies you're going to lead your army with, how you're going to manage the internal politics within the city. Um what you're gonna do about these like kind of dark secrets and mysteries that are getting unearthed within your city's uh your city's location itself and um yeah we we did a playthrough earlier, so you can you can check that out uh cheeky plug for that um and yeah it's uh it's i think really cool because it's basically putting you into the experience of being the main character in an epic fantasy novel um and it will tell you a lot about this is something I'm realizing um as I see people go through it and stuff is it will tell you a lot about like who you would be as a leader in that situation. Like how would you respond to the most dire um, circumstance a leader could face, which is, you know, your, your city getting attacked and you being the one who's responsible for defending your people in that situation. So Mm -hmm. yeah, there's magic. um, There is politics, there's romance, there's sword fighting. It's uh, pretty much got everything that I think epic fantasy readers will be interested in and um yeah it's i think quite a fun time i really enjoyed writing it and um yeah it's out today as well
0: yeah we had an amazing time for the during the live playthrough but we touched on it a little bit during that but where did this idea come from originally and and what made you decide to tackle this massive undertaking of an interactive fiction game as opposed to you know pursuing this similar idea or the same idea exactly in the form of a novel or a series or something like that?
1: Sure. So probably the inception of it came back in 2016, which was like a lifetime ago now. Um, I was like, what, six years ago? Pre-pandemic
0: days. Uh, Yeah, it's a a very, very, very long time ago. (laughs)
1: Um, Back then I was like, I think I hadn't even written Across the Broken Stars yet. So I was in university studying architecture um, and I came across this company called Choice of Games who wrote these interactive fiction novels. And on their website, they had a page where they're like, oh, we're looking for writers. If you think you have a cool idea, uh, feel free to pitch it to us. And at the time, I was too scared to apply. I was like, I don't really have any you know, published credits I can point to. Um, I don't know if I'm good enough for this. Uh, I'm just going to forget about this. And maybe in a few years, I'll come back to this. Uh, and then a few years later, uh, I was just looking through, I think I was looking through like various short story markets online. Um, cause I'd written a few pieces that I wanted to get published and I stumbled across them again. And I thought, huh, I've published two books. Um, cause at, this was like early 2020, uh, I published two books. I feel a little bit more established now. Maybe I'll give this a crack. Um, and I applied to them, uh, not really expecting to get through because I had talked to one of their authors before and they were like, yeah, it's apparently really hard to get into them these days. Um, but go for it. You like, obviously you're going to miss if you don't take the shot. Uh, and they seemed to like the resume that I was kind of submitting, which was just talking about the previous books I'd published. So they asked me to send them a couple of different ideas. So over the course of the next week, uh, I kind of played through a couple of their games and thought about ideas that I would want to write about in my own story. Uh, and I came up with four different pitches. Um, Siege of Treblin was interestingly the pitch that I think I worked the least on. But I think that's because it's the one that I was like, I just, sometimes like you get stories that just sort of come to you and you're like, ah, this is a fully fledged idea. And I understand exactly like what the central conflict of this is, what the theme is going to be like, why this will be an interesting experience. And it just kind of like flows out of you, which is I think a really good sign. Um, So yeah, there were like four different concepts. Uh, Very, very happy that Choice of Games wanted to go with Siege of Treblin because like in hindsight, having... Having to write one of those other three concepts would have been way harder. Um, and uh, yeah, would not have made as good a game, in my opinion. Um, Out of
0: curiosity, what are some of those other ideas? Just sure. like a boiler. Uh, boiler I'll give you a brief overview
1: because, like, I might, I might go back and write some of them at, at one stage. Um, mm-hmm. One of them was, like, you're the pharaoh of Egypt and you have to, like, rule Egypt, basically. So there were elements of that that kind of played into of Treblin. Another one was you are, like, a playwright who is kicked out of this theatre company in, like, Elizabethan London. And um, in order to get revenge, you have to set up, like, your own theatre company and try to, like, put on plays that draw the audience away from the, uh, the other rival. Um, yeah. Which I was like, that would be so sick, but like, it's such a, it's. I feel like it's such a niche audience, like yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> vindicated people <laughs> who like plays and Elizabethan London is like a very, very niche subset. Um, And then the other one was a sci-fi thing where you would be like running for governor of this lunar colony on Mars, um, and yeah, you've got to try to like manage this uprising that's coming as well. So. A lot of them were verging into like the, you're a leader, like you have to make these difficult decisions about resource allocation and people management. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that's like, that's fascinating territory to explore in this type of game because you're never going to be able to satisfy everybody. So you're going to learn But especially with player
0: choice, like. especially with player choice, giving them that role to play allows for the variability in how they... Um, and how they manage their, their society or their, their kingdom or their lunar colony, what have you. And it's really cool that to hear your other ideas and it's like hundred percent, they fed back into Siege of Trebolane and what it ended up being, you know? And I think that's a, that's a cool, um, insight into how your, your, your mind sort of came into this, uh, interactive, uh, novel format with this similar thread that connected these different ideas and then to see how that came into the the final product of siege of treble is awesome
1: thank you yeah i think it's um it is interesting that you bring that up because yeah there are literally bits from those ideas that i feel that i stole and put in wholesale like there's there's one scene in siege of Treblin where you stole, like,
0: you stole them from yourself and put. Them i stole in them from myself it so it's all good
1: every, <laughs> who knows um But there's one scene in Seeds of Treblin where like you go to the theatre that is owned by this really rich merchant in the city who's one of the main kind of non-player characters Um, and you can like decide what the play is that you see. So you can pick from like a couple of different options. So you can be like, you know, what's the title? What are the themes of the play about? Like what's the kind of central conflict? Like what do the actors look like? And it will basically like generate your own custom theatre experience. Um, Nice. So that was like something that was that was stolen from that. Uh yeah. So <laughs> I really um really did pluck the kind of selective bits that I want, wanted from all those other things. Um and yeah, put it into that. But I think what drew me to Siege of Treblin as an idea was like I wanted to craft something where because the thing is like back to your original question of why interactive fiction, why not a novel? Like I think they're fundamentally they look very similar on the surface, but they're fundamentally different. Experiences for the player slash reader. Um, you know, in a novel, it's very linear. You have to make sure you're designing this satisfying, cohesive, overall arc to it. The game is very different. You've got to design it so that like players can make really interesting choices that are difficult and don't really have a right answer. Um, and yeah, you're kind of like limited in some other ways, but you are also free in some other ways because you don't have to be the one making those choices. You just like come up with interesting scenarios, present them to The player and force them to do your job essentially so (laughs) as part of that as well i wanted to keep it to something that was like contained into one location um because that's just like a more interesting format to explore i think in a game because you can really get to know the the city of Treblin. and um you know even if you do a couple of playthroughs you're probably not going to find all of the various mysteries and lore and world building stuff that's scattered around the city um but yeah, by having it in this one contained location, it really feels like it's this place that you're exploring and you can get to know it in depth as opposed to a quest across a country where you know, you're only going to be in each location once per se. Yeah. So it was things like that trying to shape the experience to make it like, very satisfying um, for players, I think is, is kind of yeah. like the main decision.
0: And it grounds people in that location. You know, mm-hmm. when, there's, when there's the familiarity, um, you know, what you mentioned about your previous ideas, that went along with a Siege of trouble in your, your, your pitches. There's this, um, there's this notion of, of, uh, control and manipulation that the, that the reader player has to engage in. And it's a lot more difficult when there's a grander scale or battlefield, so to say, to engage with when you focus in on a city. You focus in on you know your other idea was a lunar colony. When you mentioned the uh, Egypt and you're the Pharaoh of Egypt, my mind just kind of uh, exploded with like the potentialities of how much shit you would have to yeah. manage. You as you as the creator, but also the player as the uh, the manager and the the interactive force in this experience. But with Siege of Trebling, you you narrow that focus you have a much more investment in the city, uh, you know, on top of the fact that you're the leader, the city is also under attack, which gives you that, that tension that forces you into corners of what do I pick? Uh, what decision do I make at what point? And as, as people who watch the live playthrough, will see, you know, Tori and Connor and I were in this, uh, you know, (laughs) these funny moments of contention where it's just like, what's the reasoning behind this decision? How do we come together as a, as a trio to decide on something that, you know, we have to go into with the forethought of what's going to happen down the line. If we choose the army over the merchants or, or what have you. And I, I really, really love that sort of, um, world building as a, an established factor for how players actually interact with this experience. And I wanted to ask you how you went about approaching that world building aspect, but then on top of that, since players are directly manipulating the narrative, uh, to a certain degree, how did you approach things like, you know, a character arc or, the interconnectedness of this character's personality?
1: Sure. So I'll start with the character arc thing because I think that's something that is interesting to approach in the interactive medium. Um, Obviously, like when you're letting players make their own choices, that influences what scenes they're going to experience in the game. And the danger of that is that you might have characters totally uh, you might have the player totally miss an important character moment. You might have uh, you know, this character who is going through this arc of maybe they start really selfish and then stuff happens to them and they make like some bold sacrifice at the end. And if you kind of miss that middle part, it just seems like they have changed their mind and not behaved consistently as a person. So the way that you kind of get around that in uh, writing an interactive game for, for Choice of Games, which is written in this coding language called Choice Script, is... You have statistics and variables, and these can track bits of information, such as your relationship with a character. Um, and through that, you can build an arc with somebody. So, what I mean by that is that there are four main non player characters in the game there is Priestess Sephira, who leads the Arbiturgic Order, which is Treblin's main kind of religious institution. Uh, there is General Hearthstone, who leads the army. There is Dimifloros, who leads the kind of merchants. He's a or they're the most like rich merchant in the city. Uh, And then there's also an artist called Celestino Yearn as well, who has been contracted to create um, either like a sculpture or a painting or like some fountain that represents you as a ruler. And you actually get to decide like, you know, what is this going to be? Is it going to be the painting? Is it going to be the sculpture? Is it going to show me being like really strong? Is it going to show me being really smart? Something else, anything in between. And at the start, all these characters are like they're friendly towards you because like, you know, obviously you're the ruler of the city, um, but you don't have any particular closeness with them. And throughout the game, as you make uh, your choices, you can increase your relationship stats with them. And that will lead to them potentially opening up to you, telling them like secrets about themselves. Um, It can lead to them being like more open to being uh, persuaded by you or uh, having their opinions changed by the things that you are saying. Um, Or it can even lead to them, you know, like, doing bold sacrifices for you or helping you get out of tricky situations Uh, and it can eventually lead to you romancing them and even marrying them in the epilogue of the game as well so by keeping track of their relationship as this stat you're able to build a sense of progression over the game Um, and that's that's one way to kind of get that sense of of character arcs through it in terms of like the world building as well um, it's a, a similar but different problem the problem is that you generally want to be foreshadowing interesting things with the world building such that when you're presenting characters with a situation to investigate the catacombs beneath the city because there's something mysterious going on there or whether you want them to um, go to like this part of the city that has uh, this particular piece of information or this bit of interesting lore there or whatever, you want characters to not be going into that option super blind. Like You want to give them a bit of foreshadowing beforehand so that they can know what might be down in the catacombs or might not be, uh, so that they can know what is appealing about this other part of the city. So the way that Choice of Games kind of structure their stories, which I think is really cool, is what they call like a hand and fist approach, sorry, a fingers and a a fist approach. So every chapter starts in the same spot, every chapter finishes. Oh, that's not true. Every chapter starts in the same spot. Um, So what that means is that throughout the chapter, your choices can branch the narrative and lead to you experiencing different things. Um, and then there will be certain kind of node points throughout the game where, um, for instance, you know, no matter what pathway you pick, like someone's going to attack your city, like the siege is going to mm-hmm. happen at some point. So, yeah. you know, you start chapter one um, and you have to do a negotiation with this ambassador. You have to experience this, uh, this important festival that's happening in your city. In that festival, you choose. You decide whether you want to go to one of four different locations, uh, one of three different locations, sorry, and experience something there. Uh, and then at a later point in the game, like the options kind of coalesce back into the moment when someone attacks your city. So the idea with world building is to
0: try to... It's like the, the fists. So it's kind of like the fists are like the node points and then they spread Correct. out into... Into different fingers, uh, decisions, and then, they, and then they come back to yeah, that's super cool.
1: Yeah, like that. so that's really important because otherwise your story just branches endlessly, and there's no cohesion to it. So infinite,
0: <laughs> infinite storylines. <laughs> which like this madness, madness. You can do it. Like there's
1: games out there that do it, um, but a lot of them end really quickly because <laughs> mm. once you get past you know four different branches, it's just this really messy tree. So with world building and trying to give across, yeah, like really important details. You want to strategically locate it in those node points so that everybody is going to understand this important bit of treblence backstory, or everyone's going to understand this important uh, rumor about one of the characters, for instance. The other way you can do that, which is trickier, and because I want to make it challenging for myself, I had to do sometimes, is you make sure you mention it in every single like branch. So you might get to a decision, branch up to four points. And then you have to try to mention something in every single branch and like make it logically work in there, which is more difficult. Um, but yeah, that's just, that's sort of the approach to, to character arcs and world building. I would say.
0: No, that's that's fascinating because um, I like how how both the approach to character and world building, you know, are these puzzles that you have to solve. But obviously, you have the backing of uh, the game company to to give you these tools with which to tackle these problems. And, you know, the character arc thing, I love how you how you explain that. It's like everybody has the ability to infuse themselves into these characters, but there are these through lines that, that make sure, you know, regardless of what choices you make, who you interact with, who you befriend or, or charm or romance or what have you, you're going to get to this end point. You're going to feel satisfied with how it relates to the overall story. And at the same time, you're going to feel like this is a reflection of me. Yes. Like when we are when we are going through the live playthrough, it's like, obviously there were three of us who were, who were infusing ourselves, but you know, there are certain points, like you said, when you get to name a stat, uh, when you get to, um pick whether you want a statue or a painting or what have you or fountain, or when you get to choose the, the play that you want to be put on who the actors are, what the themes are, what the story is, et cetera, et cetera, but also name it. You know, I think those are the kinds of key little details that don't seem so grand that come together and build upon each other to give you this really, really strong foundation for, a character that feels like you Absolutely. is a representation of you, which is something that that a regular story, a novel, novella, short story, what have you, has much more difficulty with because it's like that character is set in stone. The same thing with the, with the world building. It's like that, that world is set in stone, you know? Although conversely with the world building in comparison to the characters, so much more of it is set in stone. Because you have to do this little game of foreshadowing certain things, the fists that the, that the player has to reach in order to keep the story consistent. But, you know, all of this is just making me think of like the mechanics that go into writing a novel. And I'm just amazed that you, that you undertook this, this, uh, this endeavor and came out of it with this amazing, amazing game.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it was certainly a fun challenge. I think it's um, there's nothing quite as satisfying as struggling with a story problem and thinking about it for days and just not being sure how to approach it. And then suddenly you're in the shower, you're going for a walk and it just comes to you like in this blinding flash of insight. Yeah. But it was even <laughs> more satisfying to like have that experience for coding stuff in this game as well. Because you might be thinking like,
0: ah,
1: yeah. oh, I don't understand exactly how I need this specific bit of like flavor text to display here. So, you know, like the scene might run 90% the same for everyone who plays through it, but then there might be 10% of it, which depending on your personality as a player will be totally unique to you. And trying to like figure out like how we should put that flavor text in there and little things like that. Like it's very, very satisfying when you understand how to use the code to make an amazing experience for the player. And you're like, mm-hmm. damn, this like little tweak here is going to make it so much more compelling and is going to hook people in, in those moments. So yeah, it's, it's a very, um, it's kind of like, it's tricky, but it's liberating at the same time. Like you've got all these extra challenges, but with those extra challenges come more tools for storytelling, um, exactly. which now that I'm writing back to writing a regular novel, I'm sort of not missing, but I'm like, oh, I can't access that, <laughs> that tool that I could use for for this other type of narrative.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it's like, it's, you have these tools that work for the novel format. You have tools that work for the interactive experience. And it's like, I can imagine for you it was like you said, it was liberating to jump into that and, and think, you know, as someone who writes, you spend so much time trying to figure out craft and reworking your interpretations of like, how do I write compelling characters? How do I create an, an interesting world? But then with each new project, you sort of have to recalibrate depending on the necessities of whatever story that you're telling. But when you come into this interactive thing, it's just like kid in a candy shop, like, oh, shit, I get yeah. to learn something like completely new. And especially when it comes to uh, new tools or like a new language of storytelling in the form of this, this coding um, platform that, that uh, the company, what's the name of the company again? It's called Choice of Games choice of games so it's like they've established this new uh language for you to convey the story that you want to tell and i find that absolutely incredible.
1: Yeah, it is very it is very very cool. Um yeah, and it, yeah, it's really cool as well like having i should give credit to my editor Abby as well who has been amazing throughout the process and particularly she's been very useful when it comes to you know me sending her a panicked email being like Abby, I don't understand how to like make this part of the narrative work because I don't understand the code. Please help me. And she'll be like, "It's okay. Like, here's where you go to like find the answers to it. Here's some ways you can address it." Um, and yeah, so so they everyone at Choice Games like really knows what they're doing and they know how to use the code to like complement the the game rather than being something that the game has to, you know, get forced into. Um, which I could I could see being a problem if you're less good at at understanding that side of things.
0: Yeah, man, that's fascinating, and uh. On the flip side of things, you also do podcasting, which I mentioned in the intro, so I want to dig into that a little bit. For sure. uh, you did the novel analyst podcast, half Big Stories and the Jed Hearn Experience, which you were surprised to hear. Uh, and now you do Wizards, Warriors, and Words. I'm curious, why did you get into podcasting to begin with and how has your experience with it changed over the years? Sure.
1: Um, yeah, very similar to when i first started writing a novel um i've always had this thing throughout my life where you know whenever there's something that i really enjoy as like a consumer as an experiencer um it's not long before my brain's like you could do that like you should try doing that for yourself and see if it's fun yeah. for you to do it too like you know whether it's <laughs> it's writing um did it for podcasting as well even board games like i'm working on a board game with my friend right now that we're going to do a kickstarter for later this year and like there's just a lot of other things where like most sensible people, you know, just go to the movie and love the movie and they talk about it with their friends for a few weeks and they f- forget about it or whatever. Um, but I'm not built that way. I kind of <laughs> would go into the movie and I come out of it and I'm like, how do I do that? I like how, how, how would yeah. I like, you know, light that scene? <laughs> like how do I make it so that, yeah, like if I was, you know, doing that car chase, how would I s- plot that out and how would I change that differently? Um, not so much changing it rather, but just being like inspired by it and being like that is so cool. I didn't realize that you were capable of doing this thing and I loved it. And now I want to create that experience for someone else because I think it's going to be a fun experience to try to do that challenge. So with podcasting, um, yeah, I think back in like, it would have been 2016 or so. I was just really into a lot of these great writing advice podcasts out there. Um, I think helping writers become authors by KM Weiland was like one of those ones. I haven't listened to it much recently, but like it was really, really amazing back then. And, um, yeah, it's it probably still is amazing, but that was really cool, and I was like, "Huh," I feel that she is learning a lot as an author through having to explain this to me as a listener.
0: Exactly. So that was um, yeah.
1: and you've you've probably had that experience as well, like on on your podcasting too. So um, yeah, I think I kind of listened to that, and I was like, "Huh," I wonder if there's like some way that I could do this for myself to improve my understanding of writing by, you know, teaching other people. How I sort of see a story. So I started up my first show, which was the Novel Analyst podcast. Um, and that was essentially taking a book that I really liked. Uh, so let's say The Blade itself by Joe Abercrombie, and then trying to analyze why I enjoyed it so much. And I'd go through it and I think, okay, what did I really like about it? Was it the plot? Oh, the plot is sort of like, there's not a lot that kind of happens for it. Is it the world building? It's sort of like a generic fantasy world. Okay, what is it that made me really enjoy this? It's the characters, like they're really complicated. I feel very emotionally invested in them. They feel real. Okay, why do they feel real? And then kind of going through that process and figuring out, oh, it's because they've got all these contradictions and complexities within themselves that make them feel um, like a, a living, breathing person who wants multiple things at the same time, but can't, <laughs> can't get all those things because they're different. So basically on the novel and on the show, um, I go through various books and I sort of break down the storytelling lessons from them. Uh, and that was the first podcast that kind of got me into the podcasting area, used it to interview a lot of authors, um, met some awesome people through that. Um, and after doing that for probably about maybe maybe two years or something like that, uh, I decided to shift onto doing Wizards, Warriors, and Words instead, um, which is a bit different. It's a panel of four fantasy authors talking about one topic at length. Um, and... I enjoyed both those podcasts. I really like Wizards, Worries, and Words because, like, you have it's more of a, in a sense, like, free-flowing, natural show. Whereas, like, novel analyst podcasts, I'd have to sort of plan out what I was going to say beforehand because yeah. you want to make a valuable point to your listeners. Um, <laughs> but what it's is kind of really hard to cool, pants
0: that sort of thing, right? <laughs> yeah, correct.
1: And there were some episodes. Like, it's I think like, when oh, I sat shit. down to start that podcast, I like recorded the first like six episodes just in one evening, like just sitting in front of the computer, being like okay, what do I like about this book? And just going from there. And I was like, damn, that was, that was really cool. And like, haven't been able to replicate that since then. So don't know where that went, but, um,
0: <laughs> lost the magic and those, early, but it's like, okay. yeah,
1: just the, lost the magic early. Um, what's really cool about Wizards Warriors words is like, we go into it with a topic, like, how do you write good characters? How do you write a great second book in a series? And we're like figuring it out on the spot, which I think is really valuable for authors because it kind of shows you the unfiltered, like thought process that other authors are using to, uh, decide how to create good stories. Um, and that's probably why I think it's resonated with listeners a lot more. And we're at the point now with that podcast where we are getting like a lot of listener feedback to it, whether that's comments on the YouTube channel, people sending emails in with questions and even voice messages recently, which is super cool. Um, and yeah, it's like, it's, it's reached a very cool point where it's like, huh, people actually listen to this and actually like this thing. And <laughs> we're yeah. almost at the point where like, Probably ninety percent of our episodes are topics that our listeners like have directly asked us for, which is a great place to be because it means that we are actually answering questions that they want answered, Um, rather than I don't know some really niche question like, oh, do you guys use size eleven font when you're writing, or do you use size twelve font? You know, no one cares.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome though, because um, you mentioned you mentioned before that the the podcast, one of the podcasts that you were inspired by, you interpreted it as, you know, the process of actually making this podcast is probably teaching this author a lot about themselves and their own, their own writing process and how they approach that, that creative medium. And for you guys, you know, you and Rob, Dirk and Michael, the team dynamic that you have allows you to do that, but also kind of like bounce ideas off of each other and create this, uh, you know, like you said, this sort of like this free flowing springboard effect where it, it provides ample opportunity for, uh, spontaneity of, you know, we're talking about a certain aspect of writing or what have you, but we're still learning as we talk to each other, because we realize, like, oh shit, I just came to this conclusion that I hadn't thought about before. And then that probably feeds back into all of the writing that each of you do professionally.
1: Absolutely. Like, we've written between us, I think we've, we published between us at about 35, maybe even 40 novels between the four of us. But like, there's so many times on the show where we, like, one of us will just phrase something or reframe something about writing in a really interesting way. And everyone else will kind of go, huh, I had never thought about it that way before, or I'd never put it in those words <laughs> myself. And it's yeah. really cool that like you can be so far into the game of writing and still have like an infinite amount of knowledge to, to learn about it. I think that's, that's something that's really cool about writing is like, it's cool and frustrating at the same time, but I think I'd lean on the side of it being cool <laughs> that you can never fully yeah, master too. the craft um, and there's yeah. always room to explore and grow.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And, and, and at the same time, you know, you guys do focus a lot on writing advice and, and uh, writing craft. How does that sort of, because um, I've used it as sort of like pay it forward type uh, attitude that you guys approach things with. How does that reflect back on, how does that reflect on your experiences in the writing community, specifically uh, self-publishing? And then how does everything you offer to other writers feedback into, into what you create?
1: Yeah, I think there's definitely an aspect of that—that kind of paying it forward. I do also think that we probably would do it even if there was like zero people listening. So the pay it forward part of it is like it's great (laughs) between the four of
0: you. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, (laughs) and I feel like that's the only way to really do a podcast. Like, if you are out there and you're listening to this and you're thinking, "Oh, maybe I'd like to start a podcast," like ask yourself, "Would I want to start this if I knew for a fact that zero people would listen for Mm -hmm. potentially forever?" And if the answer is Heck yeah! I don't care. I just want to be, you know, experiencing that medium, talking with my friend about something I'm really interested in, you know, once a week or whatever. Then great. Like that's that's the exact kind of fuel that you that you need to to do it. I think. Um, and then all the cool things that come out of it afterwards, like the fact that it makes it a lot easier to promote your books when you have an audience of people who are tuning into you every week, or you can feature newer authors who maybe aren't uh, as you know the public is maybe not as aware of them as possible or you can interview authors who are on the opposite scale and they're really big and you know you love their stuff and you can't believe that you get to just like ask them questions for an hour um and then also that you get those emails from newer authors like it's yeah it's it's really really cool the point that i can pretty much open my email up and you know once or twice a week i'll have someone messaging in and saying like hey just so you know i stumbled across your podcast on spotify and Um, I, yeah, I really, really like this. This has inspired me so much. Like it's helped me write my first book or or whatever it is. Um, like that is, that is really cool. I don't think that's the reason why you should do a podcast. I think you should do it, uh, because it's something that you like intrinsically really enjoy having a focused discussion with people that you like their company about a topic that is important for you to unpack, um, within your, within yourself. And then if you have that genuine passion for it, then all of those other side benefits will hopefully come uh, over time, but it's not guaranteed. And that's why you have to just focus on really liking it. And also like that might sound weird for people who've never recorded a podcast before, but like (laughs) as an exercise, if you and your friend really like talking about, let's say movies. Um, I did this with a friend a few years ago, just like put the voice memos app on your phone on, and sit down and say, like, let's have like a, let's pretend we're doing a podcast and have a twenty-minute discussion about this. Yeah, you will find it to be such a different conversation from what you normally have because something about like being recorded, having like a focused topic to discuss, um, and then both of you having the exact same goals in that conversation, it really leads the conversation to quite a different place than just ordinary discussion. Um, And yeah, it's just like, it's just an interesting tool, I think, for helping you refine your thinking and, um, helping you connect with your your friends more deeply as well. So yeah, it's, it's a cool, it's a cool exercise to just try. Um, yeah. So that's sort of I 100,
0: I 100% agree. Cause, um, you know, this applies to any endeavor in your life, whether it's writing or podcasting, what have you do it with the intention that you're doing it for yourself and you might not ever (laughs) share it with anybody else or nobody might listen to it. Nobody might read it. So on and so on, because I started this podcast with exactly that intention. It's like, I'm doing this because I wanted to start a podcast for Mm -hmm. a long time. And I just did it because it's like, I joined FanFi addict and the book blogging community. And I started to meet all these people around me. I started to connect with other authors and I'm like, Oh man, you know as i take writing more seriously i want to learn from these people and i just want to talk with them and see what happens and i agree completely it's like if you if you go into a conversation with the intention of like we're being recorded something in your brain switches and you take on like a more uh critical approach to whatever you're talking about with the knowledge that every single thing i say is going to exist out there as it's, you know, as a tangible soundbite or word or sentence or paragraph or what have you. And um, I think what you guys have done with Wizards, Warriors, and Words, and this is a tease for what's coming uh, later this summer, but we're going to be digging into SFF podcasting and, and and what that kind of does for all of us as as authors. But what you guys have done with wizards, warriors and words is just, um, it, it feels genuine because it's four friends who come together talking about things that they love and everything else that comes from that is just a bonus, you know? Yeah. It's like, regardless of what happens, you get to chill with your friends once a week, knowing that they're halfway across the world and just embrace that, that, love and passion that you guys have for writing and sci fi and fantasy. And that's that's the key. Yeah.
1: It is very cool. It is very cool. And yeah, it's particularly been good at times when, you know, maybe you're like in the middle of a particularly difficult project and you're wondering like, oh, should I give up writing? Should I stop doing this or whatever? And then you get on the podcast and you talk with them. And you don't even talk about like the particular thing you're struggling with, but just being around other people who um, you know, are progressing towards the same goals that you're progressing towards. Um, and I would definitely say the other three authors on the podcast, way more successful than me, way more established. So I'm definitely like in such a cool position for learning because they have really achieved things that I have my sights set on achieving too. Um, it's really motivating and it like recharges you and it rejuvenates you to be around people who are interested in the same things that you are. Um, because yeah, like there's, there's not a lot of other people I know in person in Perth, Australia, which is where I live most isolated capital city in the world. So yeah. Um, (laughs) uh, but I love it here. It's great. Uh. There's not a lot of like other authors out there who have achieved uh the kind of yeah, I suppose like the levels that other uh my other podcast hosts have have gotten. So yeah, it's it's really rejuvenating and really like remotivating to to get on the calls with them, especially when you might be feeling a bit low and you're, you know, struggling with a project or or anything of that nature.
0: Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. And, you know, we've been talking about podcasting and writing and all these different things. How do you sort of find balance and everything that you're doing, you know, to stay productive in terms of writing and podcasting, but also feeling like the diversification of your creativity is served for the better, as opposed to being hindered by broadening your, uh, creative output.
1: I wish I had a great answer. Um, (laughs) I don't know. I I still kind of grapple with it. Um, Yeah, I I guess uh, you have to remember that like the writing comes first and you've got to like uh, sort of in the world of finance, um, which as my day job, I work four days a week at this financial technology company, which is really fun. And, um, you know, in the world of finance, when people are talking about saving, uh, there's this kind of common aphorism that like you have to pay yourself first. So, you know, when you get your paycheck, like, Rather than paying all your bills and going through the whole month doing your spending or whatever and then hoping to have something left over to save at the end, the better approach is to like take your paycheck and then just decide in advance what percentage of that you want to put directly into a savings account and um, that's something that I've been doing for like two years or so, and it just makes saving effortless because you just don't think of your paycheck as fully belonging to you you think that a certain percentage of it is just going straight away so you're not mentally calculating that into your spending budget. Um, right. And your kind of spending habits, at least in my experience, sort of just adjust to feel whatever remainder you're not putting into that savings account. So right. within reason, you know, if you can try to increase that savings rate and uh, yeah, your, your spending will sort of cut down without, in my experience, much of a decrease in your happiness or whatever. Obviously, everyone's situation is dependent um, on where they're at. That's just what works for me. And I think writing has a very similar approach where like, you have to kind of put it as your your first priority. And then everything else will will fit around that. But if you, you know, if you get home from work and you're like taking care of all these other things, all these admin things or whatever, and you're hoping to have some sort of time left over for writing at the end of that, you might. It's more difficult because your other work is just gonna sort of expand to fill all the time available for its completion. So When it comes to balancing, you know, writing versus an email, writing an email newsletter versus doing a podcast or whatever, um, as much as possible, writing tries. I try to make writing like the first thing that I do, Um, and that's not. I can't really do it before my current job because I get up at like six a.m. because of Mm -hmm. time difference things, (laughs) which is is kind of annoying. Um, But the first thing that I try to do when I get home from work is, on most days, I would either just like go to a local library and write there for a bit, then go home um other days might go to the gym go home and then write from there so it's just trying to make sure that writing is like your first thing and then if you can do that you will fit other stuff around that um today's probably not a great example because like yeah i got up a bit later this morning and we've been doing this (laughs) podcast all morning so haven't done any writing today but that's all good um
0: apologies yeah
1: that's that's all good this has been great so uh, yeah well well worth the sacrifice um Mm. but yeah i think with podcasting like Yeah. You just, you just have to like focus on writing as the kind of main thing. It's very easy to get distracted by like trying to, yeah, trying to like optimize things, which aren't that important. Um, and you just have to remember that like, as an author, the most important, the like most valuable use of your time is going to be not redesigning like the colors on your website or figuring out like the perfect font to use in your email newsletter or anything like that. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be writing, which is, yeah. Not an awesome message because sometimes writing is difficult, <laughs> but um yeah, you and that's, that's something I have to keep reminding myself so yeah i wouldn't I wouldn't say I'm necessarily a master in that I think um I'm pretty good generally at like sticking to deadlines, being productive, being consistent one one tool actually that I can give some practical advice and I would suggest for people to follow is I have like this uh writing spreadsheet on my computer and um. Every day when I do my writing, I write down how many words I wrote, how many minutes it took to do them, uh, and then it like makes a box go green for that day, and you just want to keep the chain up. You want to just keep writing every day and maintain that chain and maintain those uh, those consistent word counts and consistent time put into your project. so that's probably been the number one thing that's that's been very useful for uh, trying to keep productive and and consistent with writing.
0: yeah, to sort of like gamify it just a little bit because the mm. human brain is super responsive to that kind of thing. And I think actually everything that you've said has been, has hit home for me because I'm trying to, um, just trying to find balance between, you know, being a father, being a stay at home dad and podcasting and writing and tweaking things here and there to, to sort of figure out like what's the best balance in my case, it's like, uh, writing can't be the number one priority because I have a child.
1: Yeah. So that makes total sense. I don't have a kid. Yeah. So (laughs) so it's like, it's kind of,
0: yeah. So it's kind of like your, your formula, but just like recalculated for every individual based on what their, their priorities are essentially. Hmm. And, you know, for me, um, after quite a long time, I think I've finally found not the perfect balance because it's never going to be perfect and it's always going to be changing, but something that works in the sense of, consistency and satisfaction in everything that I'm doing, whether it's with the podcast, whether it's with my writing, and then all of that orbiting around this little poop-filled diaper of a child. <laughs> <laughs> this beautiful little boy. But uh, yeah, man, I, I really appreciate uh, all the advice that you've given, everything that you guys do with uh, Wizards, Warriors, and Words. I'm really excited to collaborate with you guys. Everyone can stay tuned for that. Uh, yes in July. Good. Um, but to close out, if you could share with viewers and listeners what you're currently reading, watching, or listening to that you'd like to recommend.
1: Sure. So I'm currently reading Children of Dune, which is the third book in the Dune series. Um I'm scared. Uh I'll say that because I love the first Dune <laughs> book. I read it twice. Um I tentatively Googled Dune sequels because I knew they were out there, and people were like, they get bonkers. They get absolutely bizarre, yep. and I was like, "Oh yeah, okay." And then I decided to kind of tentatively try June um, uh, Messiah, which is the second June book, and I was really, really apprehensive. But I adored it. Like, I liked it. I liked some aspects of it almost more than the first June book, which is maybe sacrilegious. Me too. But I was just like, "This is this is so brave," and I haven't seen anyone else do this. Where your first book was like this iconic hero's journey. And then your second book is like, let me undercut everything that I did in the previous book, but it's not undercutting because <laughs> the seeds of it were sown in that previous installment. Exactly. Um, yeah. And it's great because it's like, in, in some sense, you know, the first book is, is almost uh, not Disney ish by any, any, any stretch of the imagination, but like it ends in a place where you're like, okay, you know, this was satisfying. Um, but then the second book is like, no, actually, what would happen if it ended in that place and it kept going? Because in real life, you don't just reach the happy ever after and, you know, that's it. Like you have to contend with what happens after man. it. and Yeah, yeah consequences. <laughs> and I think that the second book did such a great job of exploring that. Um, yeah, it, like it just really grappled with some big questions. Like if you have somebody who knows the future in every detail, does that mean they have any freedom in their life? Are they just a slave mm-hmm. to the visions they've seen? Can they change it in any way? um and yeah all of the horrific things that come across with that so really really like june messiah and it just it perfectly expanded upon the first june book so children of june uh i'm about like maybe two-thirds of the way through it so far and yeah like i think maybe the first half i was a bit like uh i, I don't know i don't know and then probably around the halfway point when it really starts kicking into gear you're like damn this is this is good this is good but yeah it's just uh I don't know. I I respect Frank Herbert as an author, as what he's done. It's also funny how, yeah, his books just seem to get subsequently weirder and weirder and weirder. And like,
0: book four, book four is when shit gets.
1: Is that when it gets mad? See, see, this is the thing I'm struggling with, right? I'm (laughs) like, do I do I comfortably end it at Children of Dune and say that was a trilogy? I'm going to forget about the other things after this, or do I like keep going down the rabbit hole and see how far it can go? What What do you think?
0: Uh, it's difficult because the rabbit hole extends to his son. Yes. So Brian Brian <laughs> Herbert continues writing Dune novels. Sure. I think with Kevin J. Anderson. That's they, right. They yeah. Collaborate yeah. on a bunch of stuff. So yeah, the rabbit hole's never gonna end if you let yourself okay. just continue to fall into it. <laughs> That's scary. Um I think. Yeah, if if you feel satisfied with with what Dune has given you. I think book three or book four are like logical endpoints. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. because it's like if you continue after book four, five and six, things get even weirder. All right, and then that's going to sort of probably probably convince you to just kind of see what else that world has to offer. Because at that point, it's like you're six novels in, you're invested in the Dune universe, and you're probably it's so deep in the Dunes. So, I think like yep. three or four is the logical end point if you just want to leave it at that.
1: That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, it's just, it's just funny. It's just funny how like all those authors back in like the, the 70s and stuff, and Philip K. Dick, who wrote like, you know, the books that became Blade Runner, Total Crazy Recall, Minority Shit. Report, and everything, <laughs> they were just like on <laughs> yeah. so much acid. And like their books are amazing because of it. Like, I don't know if you've ever yeah. read Valis by Philip K. Dick. But, oh, um,
0: God. Valis is insanity, dude. You've read it? There's some, there, there's some, there's some weird, there's this one novel by Philip K. Dick. I don't know if you've ever read it, but the uh, shit. What is it called? Uh, the Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldritch. Yeah,
1: I've heard this one. Have read it?
0: Bonkers. It's so weird. Yeah. It's so so weird, but it's just like I love Philip K. Dick for his um, just like absurd, obviously psychedelic, fueled explorations of the human psyche. Yes, but like the form that they took. Even if anyone watched Blade Runner and thought, "Like I want to read the book that it's based on," so Do Android's dream of electric sheep is really strange and very different. Like very loosely related to Blade Runner.
1: Yeah, um, a lot of these things are kind yeah. of like that. Like they're very, yeah. they're very te- like. I mean, Total Recall was like, totally. Like I love the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, but like it's mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I would imagine quite different to what what the book would be. Um, just because a lot of his other stuff interpreted differently. So yeah, um, yeah, that's what I'm reading, reading June. What were the other ones? Like watching and and listening? Yeah, if
0: you're like watching or listening to.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm re-watching Jaws at the moment. I watched about 40 minutes uh, into it the, nice. uh, the other day. I love Jaws. I only discovered it like last year, which is such a sin. Um, And I was blown away. I was like, this is, how is this so good? Like, it's just, it's just the perfectly structured story. It like, it's funny, it's tense, it's a horror movie set in a pleasant seaside village. How does that even work? Like, it yeah. looks beautiful. I want a holiday in Amity, but it it's also horrifying at the same time. Like, yeah, it just has this weird. Yeah, it's just this weird this pull and push from that. Everything with Quint is just amazing. Um, all of his monologues where he's like, you know, gonna do a really bad Quint impersonation here, but he's like 400 men went into the, into the water only 100 came out and the sharks took the rest like his monologues are just <laughs> golden um so yeah i got about 40 minutes of, into that the other day and probably going to finish it tonight so looking forward to that again um that was a solid of impression of by the way to, thank you very much thank you very much thank you <laughs> um yeah i uh one thing i have been meaning to look at and this is like for for you jaws fans out there um in lockdown a bunch of jaws fans made this thing called the jaws we made where just like hundreds of people filmed like one scene from it each and then they stitched it together into this overall movie um and i've been meaning to watch it for for a while so i'll probably see it after after i watch this movie again for the second time but it's like you know the shark is like this little lego figurine coming towards this toy boat in one scene Mm -hmm. and in another scene like
0: that's brilliant
1: yeah it's just really cool and it's like it speaks to the ingenuity of um The fandom event. It's kind of Mm -hmm. it's crazy that like it still is an enduring thing.
0: We'll close out with what you're what you're listening to.
1: Yes, um, yeah, listening to at the moment. I got a couple of podcasts that I really enjoy. Um, been big into. There's this podcast called the the Charlie and Ben Show, which is run by. I don't know if you've ever seen Charisma on Command's YouTube channel, um, but they basically like break down how to be a more charismatic, confident person, and they have a really interesting podcast that is about a totally different topic it's just them like riffing philosophical takes on like a lot of politics a lot of like current news events and i really appreciate it because it's so good at making you step back from like the zeitgeist um that what everyone is thinking and talking about and they're like yeah well you should like think about it this way instead because these are the other ways in which you're you know thinking about that applied to a different situation so i feel like that yeah. podcast has been really good for Improving my ability to rationally reason about things. Um, so yeah, really, really enjoy that. That's been good. Uh, and then what else in terms of podcasts? Uh, yeah, I mean, been listening to occasional Wizards, Worries, and Words episodes sometimes. <laughs> um, <laughs> don't usually listen research. back to back to myself. <laughs> um, yeah, there's like just a just a couple of other comedy podcasts that are that are quite good as well. I'm getting up my Spotify to see what else I actually have. Um, yeah, what else is is on here? I really am a big fan of um uh the Hamish and Andy podcast. They're like a bunch of nice. Australian comedians and um yeah, not sure if you're familiar with them before. Um Yeah, I am, yeah. Yeah, they they have a great podcast. That's Fantastic. kind of where I would like to get my podcast to, to the point where they like they're pretty much all listener generated in a sense. Like they would have, you know, maybe five segments in the show, and for each segment they might have like a listener calling up with like a special skill or um you know, some listeners like providing information about seeing one of the hosts randomly doing something throughout the week or, or whatever. And that kind of level of like interactivity and engagement between the hosts and the listeners is like really right. inspiring. And I would love to get to the point where Wizards, Warriors and Words is like, not just four of us having a conversation, but like four of us having a conversation and also, you know, like hundreds or thousands of other people out there also being part of that that conversation. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, uh, those are probably the main ones. Um, yeah, I'm very addicted to podcasts, so I won't, I won't run through the whole list of, of everything I listen to. <laughs> no, but, but I, lo-
0: I love your recommendations. You. And yeah, I mean, I have similar ambitions with, with, uh, with this podcast to be able to just get more interaction in there and, and everything like that. But honestly, Jed, I really appreciate you taking the time, hanging out with me today, chatting about your work, but also doing the live playthrough uh, with Tori, Connor and I. And I highly recommend everyone who listens to this interview, go check that out. Yeah, go it check it out. a ton that of awesome. fun. But can you please tell listeners and viewers where they can find you on social media and then where they can find your books as well as where they can uh, play Siege of Treblain?
1: Sure. So I'll start with Siege of Treblain since that's probably the thing I'm most interested in having just come yep. out today. Um, <laughs> I think Adrian will probably pop a link down below. But basically, if yep. you just uh, go to jedhearn.com forward slash Siege. Um, that will have a page that on my website that has all the information. Um, you can also just Google like Siege of Treblin, and Jed Hearn, uh, and you will be able to play that on your iPhone, on the Internet Explorer, on the Internet Explorer. That sounds so old. On your browser, <laughs> on the Steam Store, basically anything with a screen. On your Mozilla,
0: um, your Internet
1: whatever. Explorer, on the World Wide <laughs> Web, you will be able to find this game. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's the main one, um, and yeah, you can play the first three chapters of that for, for free and have a think about it and see what you uh what you think and it's also at a discount for the first week or so so yeah go check out Cedar Treblin. that's probably the main thing uh in terms of podcasts i run wizards warriors and words which is a fantasy writing advice show we have talked about that before um and probably the other main platform would be my youtube channel uh just called jed Hearn writer where i also post some other types of like writing advice videos um and then, yeah, lastly, I'm on Instagram at Jed Hearn. That's mostly just if you want to see po- photos of me like bouldering and yeah, which is <laughs> rock climbing without ropes. Um, I'm very addicted to it and I, I love it. It's such a, good, such a good escape from writing. And it also means that when I read scenes in fantasy about characters climbing up trees or mountains or whatever, I get a little bit annoyed when they don't use correct technique. Um, so yeah, that that's, uh, that's my main thing. You need a I,
0: sensitivity I'm, reader for climbing. <laughs>
1: yeah pretty much yeah if you have, if you have if you're writing a climbing scene and you want someone who is a okay climber to to give you feedback then then send it through to me um <laughs> no joke though no joke in my current novel that I'm writing like in a couple of days I'll be writing a scene about a character climbing up something, and I'm yeah. so excited to write it. I'm like people oh, are gonna people are gonna understand this. what climbing is all about and like <laughs> it, yeah I, I hope to do you know what John Gwynn does for his books where he like is a Viking reenactor and has all the armor. So he knows all the techniques and everything. I wouldn't do that for climbing. So yeah, if you want to see my climbing videos, you can uh, check out the Instagram.
0: (laughs) Awesome, man. Well, yeah, thank you so much. I had a, I had a blast hanging out with you today. So
1: likewise, thanks for having me on Adrian. I really, really appreciate this. This was great fun.
0: There we have it. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Jed Hearn. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate and review us on your platform of choice, and share us with your friends. It helps a lot and we greatly appreciate it. You can follow SFF Addicts on Twitter or Instagram at SFF Addicts Pod for updates and more, or shoot us an email at Pod at gmail.com. You can also follow me, Adrian M. Gibson, on Twitter or Instagram at Adrian M. Gibson. SFF Addicts is part of FanFiAddict.com, so make sure to check us out there for the latest in book reviews, essays, and all things sci-fi and fantasy, as well as the full episode archive for the podcast. All music comes courtesy of the talented Astronauts. Check them out on SoundCloud at SoundCloud.com slash S-T-R-O-N-O-Z. All links for the episode are also available in the show notes. Now, keep reading, keep imagining, and we'll see you next time on SFF Addicts.